Welcome to the Tim Vaxelbaum Show. This is episode 51 of the program. It is my birthday episode. I am turning 33. I am Jesus. I'm the same age as Jesus was when he died. And that is very appropriate because I'm currently going through a Messiah complex. What does that mean? It means that I think that I'm the next Jesus Lord and Savior of the planet. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not that, I'm not that crazy. Okay, it's going to take a while for me to get into the flow state of the episode. I've been doing a lot of shit this week. Now that I'm treated for ADHD, my life has been coming back to me in a way that it never really has before because I was never this creatively confident. I've never been putting out stuff and thinking of stuff at this high of a rate. So it's just like, you know, every once in a while, you kind of got to take a little break and, t- and go to sleep. It's been very difficult for me to get some good quality sleep. I mean, hey, I did before doing this thing. This is the most important thing in my life right now. This is my job. I am a professional podcaster at the moment. doesn't mean I'm making any money. It means that I am approaching it as something that is to be made my job, okay? It'll be monetized when I know when it's time to monetize it. You don't want to monetize too early because you'll look like a loser. You'll have like this Patreon with zero followers, subscribers, and it'll be like, okay, so they, if you want, I have a Patreon. Yeah, no, I'm not going to do that until I know that I actually have like a real audience. Like I'm not looking at like YouTube comments or the numbers at all. It's super, like, um, discouraging to see that the episodes are only getting, like, what, like a dozen downloads. That would not be a good thing to do if I'm worried about doing that. You know, if I want to be confident, I don't want to look at the numbers that I'm not getting or the people that are not watching this. I know that parts of it are good. Okay? This is just Christ. So let's get start the theme music. Okay, there's no theme music yet. That'll be worked. So anyway, so pod housekeeping so i guess i could talk a little bit about podcasting in general on this podcast because uh it's just kind of what i'm trying to do and other people do it too and a lot of people that are doing it you know they're putting the time in so they might as well do it right i think i'm just starting to want to do it right you know I already had some skills like knowing how to record high quality audio, but that's not true actually. I was doing it in my living room, so it was not high quality audio. It was a good it was a it was the right kind of microphone and interface. So, you know, high quality in terms of like digital fidelity, but uh not for like listening back to it. It's like you hear all sorts of Okay, so so the point I'm trying to make at this stage in the episode is I'm going to be making a lot of changes bit by bit, step by step. Right now I'm learning about lighting. You'll notice there's a very different vibe to the lighting on this episode, and that's pretty tight. I've only just barely scratched the surface, though. I don't know much about lighting. I don't know anything about lighting. I don't, it took, like, I don't know, a week of learning to decide the very first thing to buy for my podcasting studio, my tax write-off podcast studio, which is where I'm going to be. It's like an it's going to be like technically an office, so it's not going to be like for fun and games. 
I'll use it to like fuck around for like karaoke, like if I just want to like sing karaoke. But I kind of consider that my job now. Like, like I used to just do karaoke as a pastime, but I would do it at home in front of nobody. I would do it into my computer. I still do this. I've been doing it for like 10 years. You know, I would record into my computer with YouTube as the music, uh, and I would rec- record it and sometimes film it and just be like, okay, that was fun. And slowly I've gotten better at karaoke doesn't mean i'm a good singer i sing with my nose i have a very nasally voice and it's not the proper way to sing but i could hit the you know i I, you know so i'm a singer that's the point so i'm gonna be doing that in the studio that's gonna become a dedicated part of my house this is my this is where i sleep the reason i'm doing it here still is because of the uh the the acoustics are best in this room i've got a big ass bed over here so it's pretty, that's what's absorbing most of the sound. I'm going to have a studio that's very small. Like, I think it's only like 10 feet by 10 feet. Maybe something, yeah, about that. It's pretty damn small. So it's going to, I'm going to have to get the proper, I'm doing research. So that's the next step. Lighting, okay, I'm not even barely done mastering that. Next will come improving the acoustics of the studio, and that could be, that's going to be way, that's tough. It's like math. You got to figure out where the resonance, the uh, frequencies are going and where the bass is accumulating. And you got to buy the, you know, or make bass traps. I mean, so you don't really need to get that many for podcasting. For podcasting, you still want some acoustic treatment. This is just something that becomes really, really important once you understand what it's like to not have any acoustic treatment. So I'm going to be using that dedicated studio for podcasting, music production, music reproduction, and, you know, making little skits like acting, TikToks. I'll make TikToks in just a tiny little corner of of the space. Every little bit of it has to be planned out. Like which, where am I going to set up the main recording desk where am i gonna have the podcast what if i want to have a guest on the podcast we got to have like at least enough room for a couch or something and an additional space to do miscellaneous performance type stuff like that like film work and maybe voiceover whatever i decide to do as a professional media generator so i am tim weichselbaum this is called the tim weichselbaum show because i mean hey that's my name i'm not it's not really a big show business name but it's great for if you're a behind the scenes show business guy i mean i guess i'm front loading my real last name as like i'm using it to market this podcast so that that was dumb i mean kind of because i also have this other stage name called timmy gusto which i coined you know last year this past year a few months ago and it took me a long time to come up with and decide if that was the name that i'm gonna really set in stone and try to get work under as a stand-up comedian because tim weichselbaum i hate to break the news to me whenever i was born but that's not a very good name for showbiz brother uh, on stage if you're behind the scenes which i also am running a media company it's a pretty good name because i'm jewish and, P- and who runs media 
Jews. We are pretty fucking good at it. So that'll be cool. I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm learning how to become like a media mogul. Not just an entertainer. I'm the business head. I'm the marketer. I'm the janitor. I do every little thing that there can be that there is to do. Nothing is outsourced. So that's so we're going to be making a bunch of little minor tweaks to the podcast. I listen back to these episodes multiple times and if there's, you know, so I am learning everything that I should have done better. And the format will it will be changing until I feel that it is as close to perfect as possible because right now this is just like a video blog. This is just a video diary with no cuts, no outside media coming in. Very rarely do I have outside media injected into the episode. I don't do much editing. I don't do any editing except for clips. And I don't have guests. But that's that doesn't mean that's how it's always going to be. I'm going to be doing uh, I'm going to be adding changes to the format, which means I'm going to be adding a format. It's not just going to be like me rambling and deciding when I've had enough of myself. There's actually like an agenda and segments and there's going to be a theme song and like a cold open and it's it's just going to be a lot more well produced or produced. There's a long process just for the pre-production on this week's episode because I had to fuck with the... I had to figure out how to use this new light. It's very powerful. It's like, it's very cool. It's multicolor. I could set it to whatever color I want, but I also, I need another one to fill in the shadows on this side of my face. I got a shitty light over here. It's from Amazon. It's like two bucks. It's not powerful enough to fill in the shadows. And then you have to, and I've got another light, whatever. I'm not going to explain every little thing, but th- there, it took like many hours to even get ready to hit the record button. So now that I'm recording, let's produce some content. Okay. So anyway, yeah, I am, I am like trying to become like an, like a professional showbiz, you know, business person and stand up comedian. So I do want to just do a little bit of a stand up comedy update. I mean, that is kind of the main impetus for what this podcast is about. It's about watching a amateur comedian become a professional comedian in the most, uh, you know, intri- uh, detailed way. I mean, Jesus Christ, there's definitely a better word for what I'm thinking. So I am on Adderall. I took a little bit because, you know, I don't know. We're not going to talk about Adderall at this point. This this episode is going to be all over the place. Okay. Stand-up comedy is the reason that I started this podcast. I want. I decided to start doing stand-up. Didn't mean I wanted to be a comedian, but I started doing stand-up comedy in 2012. So I'm 10 years in. When did I decide I wanted to be one, though? I don't know. Maybe somewhere around 2015. I don't know. I think I know now that I decided I want to be one for the rest of my life. Um, up in, you know, about a month ago when I got diagnosed or treated when i got treated for adhd i was already diagnosed as a small kid 14 i was 14 when i got diagnosed i got treated though for the first time as an adult at the age of 32 a month ago that's when i took my first hit of adderall i gotta stop using drug terms because i'm actually trying to talk about this in a way that's not going to be just kind of 
overlapping with drug culture because I really do not want to uh, um, look at it as a drug of like abuse and recreation. Of course, it causes a lot of euphoria if you are on the upswing or if you're still in the honeymoon state, which is where I have been. For since I'm still very much entrenched, entrenched in the honeymoon phase of Adderall. It's been a month. And I'm not even anywhere close to leaving it because I take such a small amount and I don't take it every day. So I don't really have a tolerance to it yet whatsoever. So every time I take it, it's still kind of like, okay, that's cool. Like I'm still getting this novelty of actually being able to get shit done. I know people kind of say that after a while that euphoria goes away and you just feel like a robot. Maybe I'm starting to feel that I'll teensy weensy, but I just, you really gotta, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Obviously you like, that's fine. I, if it still allows me to live a full life, it's better than how I was before, but the euphoria is not only, uh, it's not only physiological, it is also psychological because, okay, if you're just a little bit relaxed and sharp and have your wits about you you'll just be a happier person so that'll diminish as i get used to it as i get used to actually being able to like do shit like what i'm doing right now this actually takes a lot of work and commitment and you gotta like show up and do it every week uh so yeah this is something i couldn't do at this level before adderall so whatever, either way, it's it's beneficial. It's the right drug right now for me. Okay, so I so that's so I decided after being treated from from ADHD that yes, I am going to be pursuing stand-up comedy as one of the forms of disciplines that to earn money from in the umbrella of being an entertainer and being a media person and entertainer type you know because i'm looking at it from all angles i don't need to be the talent i'm talented enough in other things that i could just manage other people i like there's so many things you could do in show biz as a smart person who knows how to do it that is not that people need besides talent I was talking about how I know how to produce shows. I have an innate ability to produce shows. So I might as well apply that to this show because this is the show I'm doing right now. Um, so I have multiple disciplines that will be hopefully generating revenue streams. Stand-up comedy, that one is, is, is okay. I don't want to say it's not that hard to monetize, but if you are able to produce high-quality stand-up um, and perform it consistently well, it's really not that hard, I don't think, to get paid to do it. Clubs need high-quality performers, so it's not rocket science. You just have to have this talent and ability to perform stand-up comedy, and it helps if you don't have a bunch of other hang-ups like being mentally ill and hard to work with and not showing up on time. So if, it does take a really specific type of person to do that, but I already know that I have those baseline skills. Now I just need to actually develop an act, which I'm currently doing. And I guess I'll talk more about that in the next subject about that process. I'm just talking about the monetization part because I really am. I'm not really going out for stand-up right now. I'm more focused on this. 
stand up is something you could always do. It's not like once you have a following, you could pretty much get work at at a, any club for the most part if you have a following. There are some club clubs that will be like, yeah, I don't want to work with that guy. I don't like his politics. But there'll be one right down the street that is like, yeah, I don't give a fuck. It's money. He's funny. Come inside my club. Fill the seats. Like, once you get all this, it's really not that complicated. So, like, people, you know, it's a super hard thing to get into, I guess. But, yeah, it's not forever. It's not, I'm not saying everybody could do it, but I, I can do it. And I'm trying to, like, explain how I'm so confident to know that I can do it. Like, I'm trying to portray that I'm actually, like... I, I know what I'm talking about. It's like it's not like just me going like I'm a far I'm uh, I'm the best. No, it has nothing to do with ego. Yeah, like you kind of have to believe in yourself. You have to laugh at your own jokes at least when you're coming up with. You got to at least think they're funny, and then 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 you just polish them and develop them into longer solid jokes with multiple punchlines. So then you don't have to remember is many if you're a one-line comedian you gotta remember like a hundred jokes uh per night that's that's really difficult like more than a hundred maybe if you're doing headliner sets so i I don't think i could ever be a one-liner because my memory is just not that my short-term memory is not that good and if you're a good comedian in my opinion you should be mixing it up you should be mixing up your act pretty much every, if not every night, every week. You should be making tweaks and make to keep it interesting. And like you don't want to just do the same exact twenty minutes with the same order of jokes. It's like, and you're only doing it because you remember the order. No, you want to just know. Okay, I'm gonna do this bit and then this chunk, and then this and then two other bits, and that's already. 30 minutes because they're long bits that you worked out and that's what i'm trying to do because then you don't have to remember as many things you have to remember the bits but that's not that hard that's like not that hard to remember the bits once they're in your head like once you've rehearsed them enough times it's just remembering that you have the bits in the first place that's what i struggle with i have a very bad short-term memory very good long-term uh, but I also, yeah, so I have a very bad short-term memory and also bad long-term memory when it comes to words. That's why it took me so long to think of the word like intimate. It's a very personal podcast where I'm intimately showing y'all how I'm going from amateur to professional. Okay, is that enough about stand-up? I don't know. It's something that I could just keep going on and on. Okay, so I know how to do it. I know how to do stand-up, but that doesn't mean I was doing it well. Uh, I just kind of figured out what it's going to take for me to develop a strong act that I can memorize and that is fun and fresh and topical, not hack, in my own voice. But also, I do characters. I do a lot of characters. I'm the type of comedian who's multifaceted and doesn't just do one type of voice i change it all the fucking time sometimes i sound like sebastian a little bit like hey what you no that wasn't him how do i do Sebastian? come on no nope. it's hard to do it on command okay that's it right there okay okay what are you talking about okay whatever it's not sebastian i'm not thinking of anybody in particular 
when I do these very hilarious, you know, these ridiculous voices. I'm, I'm just doing what is in my head. Like I have an idea of what a British accent is. Does that mean it's accurate? Fuck no. It's retarded. It's the most inaccurate fucking thing ever. But people know that that's what I'm doing, obviously. Like, oh, you fucking, you fucking, hey, you fucking cunt. Like, okay, who knows what the fuck that is? It's some European something. It doesn't matter. It serves the joke. When I do redneck, obviously, I don't know if there's any rednecks that actually sound like me when I go, hey, y'all, how are y'all doing today? I don't fucking know where that came from. It's an amalgamation. It's my idea of what is funny. What is a funny voice? This is my real voice. Sometimes I, I monotone because I don't want to, like, sometimes I'm very, like, muted. When I'm in a very introverted mood, the more monotone I'm going to be. You know, like, if I'm just, like, really, like, focused on something important, and I'm, like, Kill Tony. I tried to do Kill Tony last Monday on Halloween, and I was dead focused on my set. I was running it through my head because it was super wordy. It was not just, it was a real set, like something I actually rehearsed using the new process of joke writing that I came up with. And so when people were coming up to me, I was like not looking at them when they were like talking to me for so long because they like, I wasn't there to talk to people. I was there to like, I had my eye on the prize. So anyway, I was hyper-focused and yeah, I'm not going to be personable. I'm not going to be like, if I'm like super not so, I'm just going to be like, yeah, hi, hello, hi, yeah. It's, so that's cool that I, I have a range of how I want to portray my personality or my act. Because off stage and on stage are obviously a little bit different. You don't want to be the same person on stage and off stage. Podcasting is a mixture of both. It's just I could clench up and be serious or I could relax and do a completely random gag depending on the mood subject that's what podcasting is it's way more than just being funny at least this that's this what this podcast is this podcast has a little bit of intellect in the backbone of it like not everything is just like to make a to get a laugh and say stupid things i want to say stuff some of you know i want to actually give you something to chew on i'm trying to be the next Jordan Peterson, no, but kind of. I'm like I want to be an intellectual, is what I'm saying. And in like, maybe I can't use that word because you kind of have to be like book smart to be an intellectual. I think, but I, in my opinion, that's bullshit. Being an intellectual just means you have critical thinking skills. That's the most valuable part of intellectualism to me is being able to look at an issue from all angles. And break it down critically. Like you actually are skeptical of, by default and all that shit. And I just think I actually know how to do that. I just know how to like talk about difficult situ- subject matter. And that's what Jordan Peterson is good at too. So I'm trying, I'm taking a chapter from his book, which I've never read any of, of his books. Sorry. So anyway, stand up comedy. We're still talking about that. Getting paid to do it and also not letting people hoard power over me. What does that mean? So stand-up comedy or any showbiz, any any job pretty much, any industry, there's going to be people above you and people below you. 
if you have a little bit of power in stand-up comedy, like you run an important show, people are going to line up to try to please you in a very like manipulative way. And if the opposite is true too, those people who run the shows or gatekeepers that have any semblance of power in this field will also use their power to get what they want over the comics that they deem are below beneath them. That's the word beneath them. You're beneath me. That's why you have to do these fucking random favors that have nothing to do with comedy. It's just so I could just because you're my fucking pawn. You're my lackey, even though you've been, you know, you're a comedian too. It's just even, you know, other comedians do this to other comedians. The narcissistic ones. Not all the, not the good ones. <laughs> Joe Rogan doesn't do this. That's why he stands out. That's why he's like the a super rare exception to the rule. Amy Schumer does this. She uses her power to pull headliners off stage so she could try out five minutes she treats other people's headliner sets as her open mic. That's a shitty thing to do. Doesn't matter if you're famous. I've met famous people. Like, okay, you're famous. That means you're allowed to be an asshole to people that are also doing the same job as you. That's not a good way to look at this job at all. But I get it. People do it because if you have clout, you could get away with more shit. That's why people do it. Any, I mean, we'll get more into that later. That touches on the anti-work movement which is something I do think about because it's a true, it's, it's definitely not going any, it's not going anywhere. People are not going to get a better quality job <laughs> and it's not, it's not getting better. So let's save that for later in the episode. Okay. So the power dynamics. So something I am not doing anymore since I don't have to, I'm no longer a new comic is I'm not, letting them get away with that type of shit towards me just so that maybe I could get something back from them. I don't have to do that. I'm actually like talented and skillful enough at this job that I could pretty much show up in any city and send a clip and get work. It takes a little bit of balls to do that. You have to get used to like, you know, uh, promoting yourself. But once you look at it as a job, it gets a lot easier to get over that hump because if you're not going to do it, nobody else will. If I don't have an agent, I'm my own agent and I would like to get some work pretty soon, like within the next couple months. But if somebody just simply runs a fucking local non-paid show, that really isn't something I care about. Like, you know, I won't like, like bow down to them and be like, hello, could you please let me do your unpaid Like, or even if it pays like 20 bucks, it's like, that isn't like that. Th that's not going to feed me. <laughs> I, I, m all my meals cost more than 20 bucks. I had Wendy's today. It was $50 because of DoorDash fees and all that and tips. So not to sound like a douchebag, but 20 bucks is not really like something that's going to turn me into a uh, sycophant. And so I don't have to really worry about being looked at as that, you know, like if I go up to somebody who does run a show and I ask them about the show, they might be thinking, oh, he's trying to get on the show. No, I mean, you could think that, 
but what I'm really doing probably is making conversation because I happen to like talking about running shows. And chances are, if you're somebody that runs an amateur comedy show, that's pretty much all you do. That's pretty much all there is going on in your life that's even remotely interesting enough to talk about. No offense to these types of people. I used to be one of them myself. I've graduated. I've, I've gotten a little bit better. I've improved um, in market value since then. Right now, I don't have a act that I'm comfortable trying to get paid to do. And when I do, the minimum I would want is about $200 per every 30 minutes that I'm on stage. I've never even done a 30-minute set. So let's not even... Okay, 20 minutes, let's just call it that. Because even... I don't even have 10 right now. I'm starting from scratch. I'm George Carlin. I'm Louis C.K. My material, I'm starting with a clean slate. So I don't even have 10 minutes yet. I, I, I definitely have enough premises that will pan out to 10 minutes when I finish uh, polishing them. So it's really not that hard to do to get to uh, 20 and then to 30. But I got to start with 10. So let's just say I get booked for a 10-minute show. I guess I would just do it for free just to get warmed up for real shows. Well, I don't really know if you could really charge more than like 50 bucks for 10 minutes. You know, 10 minutes is really, that's a showcase set. That's like the standard set on the amateur shows. If you're at a club, it's more like 15, you know, 15, 20. would be like the feature set. So let's just say I'm doing a feature. Okay, there we go. I would charge about, at the minimum, $200. Because I don't have to be, I don't have to be there. Otherwise, you're like, what am I doing? Just getting exposure in front of 50 people? Like, no. Um, I'm providing a service that I worked very tirelessly to develop the skills to do that service for the past 10 years. So I'm no longer looking at it as like, oh, I, I, I'm so happy to, for the opportunity. No, you're, you're lucky for the opportunity to get Timmy Gusto for $200 to make the show that much better for that. That's a deal, motherfucker. $200 is not that much in show business, my friends. So that's just the base, the very minimum I would charge. Once I get the ball rolling, once my calendar fills up, obviously it'll go up to 500 and then obviously a lot more. When I'm doing headliner sets, which is in the, it's in the cards, Timmy Gusto was designed as a headline act. That's, this is how much fucking thought I put into this. I didn't just think, okay, yeah, I'll go up as Timmy Gusto from now. No, I actually designed a fucking character. Not just to be an open micer. He's going to, like I picked the name Timmy Gusto because it'll look good on, he, on uh, billboards. Not billboards, <laughs> marquees. Same thing. Timmy Gusto would look cool on a marquee. Even if you've never heard of him, you'll be like, oh, somebody named Timmy Gusto. That's interesting. I wonder what the fuck that is. And then they'll just Google it. And obviously the first result will be tickets to that show or a clip because I own the name. I'm going to own every little bit of content that's generated 
and attached to that name. Unless it's a New York Times article or some shit like that. That's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like proprietary content. Any TikTok video, anything is proprietary content. Okay, this is quite a lot of talk about one topic, but it's something I'm just... This is new. This is brand new information. I'm starting a brand new career. After 10 years at, in the, at the open mic level, I'm ready to start to calling myself a pro. Okay, so we talked enough about the, the douchebaggery that it is to charge 200 bucks for 10 minutes of stage time or whatever. You get it. Let's talk about why I'm so confident that I'm going to be able to develop 10 minutes of stage of material in 20 and 30. I've never done fucking more than 20 minutes. And that was not with materials, with crowd work and riffing and fucking around with the room. You riff on the room if you have nothing else. I got pretty good at that because I hated doing my half-baked ADHD-ridden material. When you have ADHD, you're not going to finish them. You're you're never going to develop a full joke. You'll have a couple that get, you know, about like 30 seconds long with a few punchlines, but I've never developed a joke that was more than that when I was untreated. Now that I'm treated, I'm way effort. Like it takes so much less effort, first of all, to come up with jokes because you're more active. Your brain is more creatively active and you have less fatigue. So you'll actually get up and write them down or write them in your phone before you forget them. I have to write down my premises or they're gone. I am a premise fucking machine. I could come up with so many premises in in one little session, but that doesn't mean I'm going to remember any of them. (laughs) The next day, I'll be like, okay, I know I thought of a shitload of good premises, but I know one of them had to do with this subject, but that's, that's it. So now what I've been doing, I actually, like actually just in the span of one night, I developed a complete writing process that I call the spontaneous combustion writing process. That's just a, that's just a holding name or, you know, I don't have a, that's just the first name that I, what, who cares what it's called? The, the reason it has to have a name is because I will eventually, um, do, like I'll publish it. I'll actually like copyright it and sell it maybe as a course, as a comedy course. I am the type of person that is um, industrious enough and um, douchey, douchey enough, for lack of for lack of a better word, to actually put out a comedy course. Okay, this whole time I've been looking at myself in my laptop. Let's not do that anymore. Let's go back to the notes, the episode notes, and look at the camera from now on. Okay. So my writing process is um in it has three phases. I'll, I mean, I don't have to break down. It's just a Google document. I came up with a Google document. It's about 10 pages long and it has three phases of writing stand-up comedy bit it starts with the first phase this is just for me this is what works for me the funny part is i haven't even really like applied it yet to my own career because i haven't been going out and doing 
stand up, but I will the second I go out again and do even an, even at open mics. This will show a drastic change in the quality of my performing. I won't have to look at my phone anymore because I'll have already rehearsed. Okay. This is just the system that I came up with. It's the first draft. So obviously it's going to change quite a bit by the time I'm ready to actually give it to other people. I mean, I'm not going to start selling it until I'm a professional comedian, until I'm actually making like 50000 a year at least. Minimum. Let's call it a... Fuck that. How about a hundred? Yeah, let's say I'm not going to release this thing until I, I'm start until I'm netting a hundred thousand a year from stand-up comedy alone okay so that's a good goal that's a good threshold to be like okay now i'm ready to call myself a authority on the subject since it worked for me if the system works for me it'll work for other people if it's a good system okay so the first phase is called the brain dump i didn't i was not planning on talking about this so maybe I won't. Maybe I won't talk about it this soon after thinking of it, you know? Yeah, I'm not going to talk about <laughs> I'm going to save it until I've put it in practice just because it sounds a little bit uh, pretentious to go through the entire thing before I've even, like, tested it out. But I'm very confident that it'll at least help me get to the point where I could start trying to get real work. Another quick thing on getting paid for gigs. So time is valuable to me. I'm not going to drive somewhere if it doesn't even cover the gas. Like I'm not going to drive to Houston or Dallas if I'm not getting paid at least 200 bucks. That's another thing you just got to factor in as to why it's pretty reasonable to ask for at least that much if you're driving out to places. Because I could be doing something at home and making way more positive investments to my career than driving six hours for one gig. Okay? Like, I, I have, I, I'm building a studio where I'm going to be making TikTok videos and just random media uh, sketches, just whatever pops into my head that is worthy of being produced in a professional manner um, through my company. And so that stuff is going to generate income too if it's good, right? So in some way, it'll at least generate um, views and views uh, translate into fans eventually, followers, and then those... Tr- convert over into um you know patreon subscribers or just people who buy my products whatever that might be i don't have any merch i'm just in a very like business-minded way like mode right now that's why i haven't cracked a single joke and that's perfectly fine i'm talking about what i'm i don't know so that's a good i think that covers all that this you're going to be seeing a lot of more stuff added to this podcast as time goes on in a very rapid fire way, because this is my day job. Um, it's a full-time job. Like the recording of it is only takes about an hour, but like I said, there's hours of pre-production and days of post-production. 
so every day I'm actually putting in like a full day's work and in, including weekends. Like I'm a, I'm a pretty like workaholic type. I, I, uh, I work on the weekends. So this is more than a full-time job. Okay. So one of those things is I'm going to design a real logo. Like, duh, <laughs> got to have branding. It can't just be a text thing. It's got to be an actual brand. And I already mentioned the theme tune. I'm going to be producing a theme song using my own skills as a musician, songwriter, singer, composer, beat maker, sampler. That's enough about the, the podcast itself and my career. Let's start the show. I'm just clicking off on the topics that I already covered. Okay, so I did try to do Kill Tony last Monday, and I was super, like, gung-ho. It was the most I've ever wanted to get up, I think. But also, not really, because a lot of the bits... I had two new bits I was going to try, and I only rehearsed them for one day. So I wasn't really ready to, like, do them in a fully charismatic... I would have been a little bit nervous that I would have, because I would have, not for the show, but just because I, the nerves come from, okay, let me, let me start over on that sentence. Kill Tony is the biggest show I've ever done by a factor of 10,000. I've never done anything in show business that's gotten more exposure than that, at least in a way that was intentional. I guess I was made fun of for a couple... I guess I went viral once for some stupid thing on Twitter. That was not really show business, though. That was just more like online bullying in a way that was funny and hilarious. So anyway, Kill Tony, I take more than seriously. I take it as like a very big deal because I've, I know that I'm good enough to... Um, get something out of it. Most of the people that go up there, 99% of them are not really, they're not really that funny. Like they're not, they're not good at either stand up yet or the interview yet, the podcasting components of the show. You have to be good at both. The interview part is actually way more important than the, than the set because they spend way more time on it. So that's way more content, which means more opportunities to show that you're fucking talented. So the interview is probably more important, but that doesn't mean you can't just do a shitty set. So I went in there prepared. And what I think, what I consider was the right level of preparation, which is there is no limit to how prepared you should do. How prepared you should pull out all the stops on trying to get ready for this show because it's show business. If you do well, it could lead to other things, not just through Kill Tony, but through the hundreds of thousands of people that watch it. So you'd kind of be pretty, uh, for lack of a better term, retarded to not really think about every little thing about it. I didn't just think about the interviewer, the set. I also thought about my image I thought about my tonality, the way I'm going to project my my jokes, how humble I'm going to project. Like, should I be an like, should I be overconfident or just be subtle about it to try to win the crowd over, or should I just completely 
talk shit right from the jump to show to assert dominance, which is what I would have done. I, I would have at the very beginning just gone up there and be like, what's up, you whole horde of ugly cocksuckers? That would have been my opener. So that's a pretty high stakes thing to do. If you're going there with like brass balls, you better have the, the skills to back it up. I didn't just think about my opener, though. I thought about my walk-up to the stage. This is something... All they tell you about this is don't fucking run because you'll look like a dude... You'll look like an idiot, first of all. It's my turn! you look like a fucking child if you run. But you'll be out of breath is why, is why they tell you not to do that. And by they, I just mean other comedians or whatever. So... I wouldn't do that, but what I would have done, which nobody really does, I mean, I, I don't really, I'm sure somebody has, is um, I would have danced, I was, I was going to dance onto the stage. And yes, that sounds like an, an even crazier thing than the opener, is to dance onto the stage. But there's this thing called show business, and if you've ever seen like um, late night talk shows, your entrance is pretty goddamn crucial to how the interview is going to go. Like for memorability, like to connect with the crowd, for stage presence. You can't just walk like, okay, head into the mic. I was called. That, that's my name. Yes, I am Timmy Gusto. Yeah, if you do that, that could be funny just because it's so deadpan. I'm pretty much incapable of not being funny because I have that talent, but let's just say, yeah, I, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be like a fucking, I'm going to act like I'm on Ellen. I'm going to be like dancing with the music in sync. That's very important. If you're dancing while walking, you got to make sure that it's in sync with the bass and the drums, the rhythm section of the fucking house band. Duh. So I was literally rehearsing how I would enter the stage. That's how much thought I put into this shit. I was like, okay, first I'm just going to start going like that. I'm going to put on my glasses. I had my glasses on my shirt. So if I heard my name, I would start walking, then put the glasses on. Then as I get closer to the stage, like I'll pretend that I'm famous. I'll like be looking at people in the audience like, yeah, I'm back. You're, you love me. Yep. And just taking it all in. And then doing something like this, pretending that I'm playing the bass as I'm coming up. Because of course, that will play well in that type of environment. You don't want to just be fucking like marching up there out of beat. Like, of course, that's a risky thing to do what I'm talking about. But I already know that it's funny when I do stuff like that if I'm confident in not just doing it out of force if i'm actually like in the moment and like actually doing it with real confidence and in the moment pleasure and whatever you want to call it it, it, that's my style and i know if something's going to be funny usually before i do it because i've been doing it for 10 years so you'll get there too if you're a comedian watching this you'll start to realize what works for you and you'll be able to lean into it it's perfectly fine to lean into what is funny for you, especially on big shows. You want to show off your essence 
You want to do your absolute best on that show. So yes, you do want to do physical motions. You do want to make faces at the crowd. You do want to dance. You do want to play with the mic stand if it's appropriate for the joke. Like if they make fun of you and, the, and you pretend that it hurts your feelings or something, you go, whoa! Like you got to do shit like that. Or at least I, For me, that's what will improve the the chances that other people are going to be like, okay, he's funny. He is worthy of being on this, uh, in this field of entertainment. He's not just like some open micer and I'm not, I'm not an open micer anymore. So I was surrounded by mostly open micers. I mean, you know, not everyone, usually at Kill Tony, I'm not going to spend that much longer on Kill Tony, even though I guess it is a pretty important thing at this moment in my life. Um, Usually the the people that are not open micers just go upstairs. The the real new people who've never like done it before, who've never gotten a secret show. I've gotten secret show. Right, n- right, enough of this bragging about fucking secret show. Fuck about this bullshit. That doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point is, is like if you are already established at that club, you can go upstairs. You don't have to fucking be corralled in the very back and not even see anything going on and just be surrounded by sweaty you know i'm sweaty too so whatever i'm part of the problem but yeah i i went in the back even though i was kind of i already have already done secret show twice i'm definitely funny enough to not have to do that but i just felt like you know what you'll know when it's time to start acting like you own the place. It's not that time for me right now. I took three months off. The fact that people even still say hi to me who work at that place is a is pretty like I don't take I like that's not it's not a blessing. It just shows that they remember that okay, he's not just like a piece of dead weight. He's not just a seat filler. That doesn't mean I'm gonna try to take advantage of every little bit of clout that i don't have i will know when it's time to start doing that because of course you know i have these thoughts of like well obviously i could probably just go upstairs i don't have to be literally jammed up in the back i'm funnier than 99 percent of the people in this building but those thoughts which i'm saying out loud on my own private in my bedroom to the world though those thoughts don't really help you get anywhere in life. I mean, sometimes you have to do it, actually. The only time you have to say thoughts like that out loud is when somebody is challenging you, I guess. I don't know. There's definitely times where you have to assert yourself. You have to assert that, no, I'm not just a fucking open micer. I am a real comedian, and you know, I don't even really want to be in the same conversation is uh, somebody that's just like completely brand new. I mean, I, I'll ta- I'll be nice. I'm a nice person. I'm nice by default to anybody off the street who, who talks to me. I get along better with people on the street usually than people <laughs> off the street. So that's not, it's not like a douchebag thing. It's just that very rarely is it going to like help me to talk. Like, okay, here's a way. I'm trying to explain this in a way that doesn't come off as like arrogant. Because it is, it is of course, pretty arrogant to think this way. But 
it's true. Most like it, like so many comics just look at me because they don't know me, they haven't seen me before, and they think that I'm at their level. They think that I'm just also brand new, two years in, whatever, just like them, just because I happen to be in line with them, and that's fine, you know. But like, that's not the case. I've been doing it for ten years, so I don't have the same delusions. <laughs> I have a much more like, um, reasonable opinion about my skills. I'm not just, you know, I'm not delusional. I was never delusional. Some people, it turns out, actually are pretty fucking delusional who start this, who get into show business or get into stand-up comedy. They think that they're just going to get famous like in in like a year, in two years? Are you kidding me? Yeah, 10 years is only enough time to be good doesn't mean you're good enough to get famous. I don't think I like fame is really ever really the uh, the be all end all. The fame is not a badge of honor to really conceal the deal. I don't know why I had to say conceal just to seal the. Yeah, you don't need like being famous is not a stamp of approval. You could be the funniest, um, best comedian in the whole city. And nobody knows because you're not doing it. I took three months off. But on the last Monday that I tried, I did feel like I was one of the funniest in the whole city because I had, I rehearsed. I had a, a set that was very topical and very good for Kill Tony. I like very edgy, but also not super hack, like actually worthwhile and funny to probably most people even liberals would laugh at it and all that shit like that. Purple-haired people, whatever, they laugh at me too. If you're funny, you could get anyone to laugh. It doesn't matter if they think you're like a bad person, if they think you're a neo-Nazi. Some of them will just like, fuck, fuck that guy. But usually they won't even be at the shows to begin with. So if they're in the audience, they kind of want to laugh, right? So if you're funny and, and a Trump supporter, for example... You could still make the entire audience laugh, or at least 90% of them, which is all you really have to do to be a uh, top-level comedian. So, okay, so let's start on a slightly different topic. It seems like this whole episode might just be about this one or two topics. So, and that's perfectly fine, because this is a weekly thing. Trying your best at something, I kind of already talked about if you're going to do something creative you should probably try your best you you probably shouldn't just half-ass it because then you might not really get what you want out of it and creative people we have to get what we want out of it or else we're going to fucking cave in we're going to crumple up that's why i had to take a break for three months from all forms of interaction and let alone creativity. I wasn't doing anything creative except for maybe something that has to do with finance. So if you're going to be creative, you got to figure out a way to do your damnedest. Because what does it mean to do your best? It means that there's not a single thing that you didn't think to do. That's what I'm saying. That's kind of what I was trying to illustrate 
with Kill Tony. You gotta be you gotta think about every little facet of it. Your jokes, your image, your voice, your body language, your disposition. You can't go up so another thing is like I was pretty like irritable because you know I was surrounded by newbies who were only gonna fuck up their set and waste take away opportunities from people like me, the rare type of person who's actually good enough to be a regular on Kill Tony. Do I think I'm ever going to be a regular? No. I can't think of it. I don't think so. But I look at it as getting into medical school. If you're trying to get into medical school, you have to do your goddamn best. And the same goes for anything in life, if you're trying to get the most out of it. You can't complain that you're not getting paid to do stand-up comedy if you're not doing your best. I know that there's people out there that are doing their best. It shows. It's very easy to tell when somebody's doing their best. They dress differently. They look different. They're more professional. They don't talk shit as much. They don't hang out in the backyard of clubs just to talk shit and do drugs. No. They're at home rehearsing for the next show, producing more content, refining shit, taking care of their personal life. Doing your best takes mental clarity. It's, it takes a lot of work. I'm just starting to try to do my best on this podcast, and this is it. This is the best I could do right now with the equipment I have and the knowledge that goes to how to actually use the equipment. Just because you have equipment doesn't mean fucking anything, dog. Like if you buy a nice light, you got to know where to put it. You got to know what settings to set it to. There's thousands of settings and subtleties and camera settings that go along with it. I just know it looks cooler, it looks better than it, than the last episode. That's all I know. It's an improvement. It'll only go up from there. But throwing money at the problem is not how you become a professional. This studio that I'm building, the budget is around 5 to 10k at the very most cuz I really I don't need anything that I don't like the only things I need that I don't already have are Small in number. <laughs> so I only have to spend 5K, at, yeah, probably around that, to get it into the first phase of where I need it to be to start producing professional content. So why is that relevant? Because you don't need much. You, you, it's not about how much something costs. You have to know how to use this these things. Any piece of professional gear is going to require professional levels of knowledge to use it and get the most out of what you just put money into. Like using this camera is ridiculous if you're not going to also invest in a good lens, good lighting, good backdrop, etc. I wasn't getting the most out of the camera by just using it to film me in my living room. It's a, uh, yeah, anyway, that goes for any little piece of equipment. So I'll, 
Just because it's professional doesn't mean that every little piece of gear is professional. That also applies to fashion and my wardrobe. This shirt is not a very interesting shirt, but it serves a purpose. When I do wear nice clothing, it doesn't mean every little bit of clothing has to also be high-end. It just has to look nice and match the other types of clothing. If you're running a professional recording studio, not every piece of gear has to cost $1,000. You could use cheap microphones if they actually get the the sound quality that you want. You might want to use a low-quality mic if you're get, trying to get a lo-fi effect. It's perfectly fine to use a children's toy microphone to record a professional track if it serves the purpose and gets the, the right sound. That's what professional is. It's, it's producing content to, at the level that is necessary to sell it to other people. It's commercial. It doesn't matter what equipment you used. I don't know. This is just something I've, I'm just, I just, I'm learning myself. It's like the knowledge is way more important than the equipment. Okay, that's enough on that. Okay, let's get to it. one more topic and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. That's fine that we didn't cover the gamut or even close to the gamut. I am treating Kill Tony as if I'm a Jew studying for medical school. That's how focused I am because even though I can't just bank on him like giving me an opportunity or whoever else is adjacent to Tony Hinchcliffe or Joe Rogan giving me, but I can do my best to show that at least I'm one of the best comics in the city. That's all. That's my goal. Am I good enough to be a regular? Yeah, I could come up with a new minute every week that's better than some of the minutes I've seen by other regulars. That's totally true. But also, I don't know if I would want to do that for very long. I would accept it, obviously, without hesitation, but that doesn't mean I have to do it for a year. I would just do it until I've gotten all I needed from it. You know? I mean, I really... You know, the reason Tony is so nice to new comics who are a little bit funny is because they need that encouragement. We do need encouragement. As much as I have a, my own self-confidence, it wavers. When the Adderall wears off, so does the self-confidence. So it doesn't hurt to get it from the outside world just to keep me going, just so I don't have to have those moments of self-doubt. Because self-doubt is kind of dumb. But, the, you know, there's a purpose for it. Like, I was writing jokes yesterday, and I was like, okay, this joke is definitely not my joke. It's definitely been done before. Parallel thinking is a thing. If you come up with enough premises, you're going to eventually stumble upon one that somebody else has already thought of, or the same punchline as well to the same... Like, it's just... it's Like, of course, every joke has been done before in some way. But that, you shouldn't let that stop you from doing them. As long as you keep adding punchlines to them and making them your own, it'll be distinct enough that it'll be like, okay, that's still fine. That's still good. Like Mark Marin was giving a lot of shit to Drew Michael for having a similar view point of view as Mark, which is ridiculous. I mean, of course, 
if you have the same background, same whatever. Of course, it's not that crazy that someone can have the same point of view. So many people have the same point of view as other people. That doesn't mean it's the same content. All right, that's enough about comedy. We're really showing how the sausage is made. I almost even went through my entire writing process on this episode. Thank God. Thank God for that, that I decided against that. Because that's a little bit too detailed into the woods or whatever on how the sausage is made, but why not? That's what kind of what this is. This podcast is about. It's about self-improvement, mental health, finance, and how to become a stand-up comedian. So why not? It's about creativity. But I'm not going to do that in this episode, but... What I have been doing is showing people on my social media, which is Instagram, um, things I'm doing just as I'm becoming a professional per- an entertainer. I'm like sh- posting stuff that's pretty like insane that no comedians post unless they're doing it as a joke, which I kind of am. There's always a glimpse of, there's always a glimmer of tongue in cheek whenever I post anything on social media you know i don't think i've ever posted like a purely sincere post unless it was an advertisement for an open mic or some show i was yeah maybe then all my posts are a little bit tongue-in-cheek but but when i was uh working on the timmy gusto minute i you know i was getting into character because timmy gusto is not the same thing as tim weixelbaum it's a slightly different version of me more professional i think even though it's kind of counterintuitive sounding, why would a character be more professional than the real life version of you? That doesn't make sense. Well, it is though, because it's crafted in a laboratory. <laughs> Timmy Gusto is completely synthetic. Nothing true, nothing real about him except for the fact that his name is Tim. Timmy. Okay. So I post. <laughs> So I started rehearsing how to do a signature for Timmy Gusto. I was like, well, he might have to sign his name, you know, even if it's just to sign a check, you got to have a signature and it'll go along with the branding, which I will eventually roll out. I'm going to have a business card with a, you know, some sort of branding on it. So I was like, how should I do the signature? And I came up with a cool cursive thing. That's just nothing but loops of a T and then a G that has a spiral that spirals inward. It's very like Willy Wonka. Like it's very like creative. So I could just do that. It's TG and then I could do the rest, gusto, whatever. And so I, I was proud of that. And I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to post this on Instagram and say, working on my signature for when I'm famous enough to sign autograph, blah, blah, blah. Because why not? It'll look ridiculous now with a hundred followers, but when I, if I actually do become famous or, you know, relevant, let's, let's just call it notable. Like if I actually do break like 10,000 or a hundred thousand followers, they will go back. Some of them, the true fans, the hardcore fans will scroll down and be like, Holy crap. He actually knew he was going to be famous someday. Right. Let's not use the word famous, but that's kind of what I'm trying. I guess I am kind of trying to become somewhat notable enough where I could do the job I'm trying to do. That's one example of of what I did like that. 
I also posted a reel of me rehearsing a little bit of the minute I was going to do on Kill Tony because why not? I mean, I was already filming it just so I could watch it back myself. I was already like recording it in high quality audio and video, so why not? Uh, and it was funny, so like why not? But it was also interesting to be like, okay, so this is how I do it. This is how I approach big shows. This is a little bit of a behind-the-curtain look at how I rehearse material because you can't just do it all on stage. You're never going to master the craft if you only ever re- practice on stage. Like the, You can't just look at your phone for a week and then finally be like, okay, I don't have to look at my phone anymore. No, you have to already kind of have it memorized before you even try it at an open mic. I wasn't doing that before. So now I'm the type of comic who rehearses in the mirror at home. My version of that is to do it into a camera and then watch it back. And that that's how I sculpt the joke into something that is ready enough to try at an open mic. Okay, we're going to wrap it up. I think we're just going to keep this episode short and sweet. This was a fun infomercial is what it felt like. It was definitely a TED Talky episode, but that is perfectly fine. We'll be back promptly next week. Um, it is my birthday. I hope y'all have a good rest of the week, y'all. Peace out.